welcome to our weekly podcast of Womankind Collective with me, Lou Hockings Thompson, and me, Jinty Sheeran. We will talk all things woman, so get the kettle on and settle in for a chat and probably a lot of laughter along the way. Coming up in this week's podcast, we have the last six chapters of our monthly book collective, More Than a Woman. And this week is Autism Awareness Week, Lou. So we will be Mm -hmm. welcoming our guests, um, mother and daughter Lynn and Libby Curtis, who will be telling us about their own experience of being women with autism, uh, which is our topic for this week. Um, For our foodie collective this week, we will be talking probiotics, um, what they are and how they benefit us. And then finally, we'll be letting you know how we are both getting on with our WIs. <laughs> Don't expect too much, I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We've had yeah. some nice comments, though, Lou, haven't we? And suggestions. Oh, we, have, we have had some wonderful comments and suggestions. Um, we have a recorded message coming up as well. But we've had a lovely comment from Naomi in Scotland. And she said, you certainly pack a lot into each episode. And she's going to join us. She's joining in with the ACV and going to try the MISO Spanish chew. Chew? Chew? Chew. 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 Oh, thanks, Naomi. <laughs> That's great. And let us know, Naomi, how you get on with the yes. stew and, and the apple cider vinegar. That would be good. And um, I've got one from Nikki who says, this podcast is just what I need. So that's oh, great. Oh, that's so sweet. And, yeah. you know, we had a lovely one from Em. Um, And she said, it's just so interesting for me to hear you talking about the menopause as she had no idea where where she is with it. But she just listened to episode two. And that was our hormone hormone headaches, headaches, wasn't it? And she said that we were answering so many of the questions. So a big thank you. Oh, Oh, that's great. That's great. Eve. we can just kind of, you know, help help and share. Help one of you. We've done our job, gents, haven't we? We certainly have. We certainly have. So that's fantastic. So keep those messages coming. Yeah, thank you. you It's all, and and also people have been sharing their kind of wisdom, which is fantastic. Um, So, Lou, you remember Laura from last week? Oh, lovely Laura, yeah. Lovely Laura. I think we have to do a Laura weekly because she's (laughs) becoming a bit of a weekly thing. She's keen, Um, that girl. (laughs) She is. We've got another message from her. But did you ever find out any of the answers or the answer? to her pubic hair question <laughs> well i have i've written it down i've written um laura's pube problem predicament <laughs> down so why laura's thinning in her downstairs regions mm-hmm. is because of the loss of androgens so as mm-hmm. we are postmenopausal, it's the loss of androgens so they get rid of pubic hair okay That's, wow okay yeah but a little bit of a juxtaposition going on. Now, there's a word. Yes. Because of the extra testosterone in our body, and I know androgen is a testosterone, we start to grow hair on the face. So the, the chin, the chinny chin chin and the moustache. Wow. Um, you know, so that's why I can grow a fine moustache these days and a nice goatee. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's extra testosterone on the top half, but lack of androgen. androgen on the bottom half so basically again it all comes down to a, a imbalance in a in a sense of our completely hormones. so yes yeah, so i think we i think we've got to be grateful for a lack of pubage though yeah yeah that can only be a good thing i'm taking that one <laughs> yeah yeah we'll, we'll hold on to that <laughs> 
so Laura sent another message with a bit of a suggestion. So oh, um, I okay, shall play this, this message here. Okay, here we go. Hi, Jinty and Lou. I just wanted to let you know how much I'm enjoying your company once a week. Often on a Sunday evening with a glass of wine, which made me wonder if in addition to having a book club, it may be good to have a wine taster once <gasps> a month. Oh. Um, any excuse to have a nice glass of wine. <laughs> so what do you think, Lou? I don't well, know. I, I think, think that could so be a good one. I know you, you're, you're, but mm. you, you could do the alcohol-free version where I just get lay there and get sloshed. Well, so maybe <laughs> we could do that once a month, maybe the end of the month, Lou. Ooh, when people payday. Maybe, yeah, on payday. Um, and um, so we'll maybe recommend, you think of a bottle of wine that we can sort of recommend um, on next week's podcast, maybe for the end of April, and everyone can kind of, anyone that wants to come along with us, can maybe get that bottle or a couple of bottles. Yeah, right? Good yeah. idea. Start it at the end of the month. So yeah, okay. Mm. Well, well done, Laura. We'll give it a we'll pencil give it that time. down on the notebook, Jim. Pencil it in, and we'll try and squeeze it into the hour if we if we can. We're busy girls, <laughs> though, aren't we? Where we are, we are. I know. Talking of busy, how's your week been, Lou? Oh, it's been okay. Bit of a funny one. If I always say that, don't I? I don't know. Every week's a bit funny, but I don't mean bloody yeah. hilarious. So I'm on my, I'm trying the gel. You know, I've moved from mm. my patches. This is um, estrogen we're talking estrogen, about. Sorry, yeah. estrogen. Yes, I don't give all the details. Estrogen patches. Um, and I've now gone on to estrogen gel. Estrogen gel. Yes. And, um, well, fine. Because the doctor said to start with two pumps and work up to three. I went straight in at three. I'm self-medicating on the estrogen now. Yeah, yeah. I don't, know, I don't know how you find it because I feel... I'm putting this on inside my thighs, the gel. Yeah. And then in, under, I'm doing it now. I'm just under my arm or on my shoulders, um, on the backs of my arm or my shoulders. And then I'm walking like a flipping crab to the bathroom. So I don't want to, <laughs> because my legs are a little bit bigger now. So I don't want my thighs touching and sticking together to wash my hands. So then go back into the bedroom to then put all my face creams on. And my body creams on the areas I haven't actually put the gel on. I mean, I just, I am, I'm just one big sticky gel mess in the mornings until everything sinks in. There's got to be an easier way, hasn't there? Well, I think, again, it comes down to sort of making new habits. It's quite a new thing for you. And um, I use the gel as well. And what I find is I now take mine into the bathroom with right. me so I don't have to walk from one room to well, the other. Well, I'm like a bloody crab. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, it's, it's a bit, it's just getting, I mean, you don't have to put it in on in the morning, of course, you can put it in on the evening, but then you've got to wait. I'd have forgotten by the evening. Yeah, exactly. So it's just making new habits. I would move it into the bathroom. That's the first mm. thing I do. Put it on straight after you dry, after a shower, maybe. And basically what I do is put it on um, and then clean my teeth, which takes two minutes. By the time I've cleaned my teeth for two minutes, it's dry. Oh. So then I can then walk into my bedroom and, you Not know. Not like a crab. Not like a crab. It's all it's all soaked in. And also, Lou, how how much are you rubbing it in? Because you can keep rubbing, just keep rubbing and rubbing until it's in, till it's soaked in. You don't have to leave it. Well, I do. I just have a little rubber dub dub, and then I, I'm off. So maybe I need a bit more rubbing. Maybe you need a little little bit more massage. Massage oh, it right in. I, I think I do. Yeah. Yeah. To so get rid of the sticky the sticky yeah. mess. 
Yeah, because by the time I've stopped rubbing, rubbing, there's really no no stickiness there. Ah, I think that's so, where I'm going. That's yeah. where I'm going. You're an old pro, Jin. So that's where I'm going wrong. Of course, but I've been um, I've been sort of giving this spray to try. So next week, ah, I'll we're, well, we're going to be talking, aren't we? A little bit about we are oh, HRT and myth busting. Yes, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, because it can be a minefield for for definitely. For so, um, how's your yeah. week been, Jens? Oh yeah, not much happening here either. I've had a couple of birthdays. Uh, one was a friend, so that it was quite nice because their birthdays coincided with being allowed out of prison. Um, but also, it's it's um, Autism Awareness Day, as I said earlier on. So my my daughter actually is going through um, a formal assessment at the moment. She's twenty three, and uh, so this is partly why we wanted to kind of open it up today to yeah. autism awareness within girls and and um, and women. Um, she's written something she didn't want to speak um, on here today, but she's written something which I'm going to read out much later on. Um, Brilliant. But it's good. It's good to talk, isn't it? It's good to open up. Absolutely. I mean, I've researched it this week because I didn't know anything about it. I, you know, and it's, it's, yeah, some really interesting things. We've got, you know, I'm really looking forward to chatting to Lynn and Libby when we've got some questions for them. Yeah. And hopefully, you know, that that will help others as well. I hope so. I hope so. Like I say, just raising that awareness is, yeah. is a great thing. So, but before we meet um, Lynn and Libby, um, should we move on to the book collective, Lynn? Oh, yeah. I'm just going to have a little rustle a minute because I've got the book out here. Oh, gents. Oh, so we both ended up crying, didn't we, at the end? Yeah. I mean, this is my <laughs> second read of this because we, obviously we, we both read it when it first came out yeah. and loved it and thought it would be a perfect book for, for the ladies, for the women. Yeah. And, um, I finished rereading it again this morning and I cried again. It, is, yeah. it hits, it hits so many, not nerves. What's it called? So many truths in me as well as a woman and where we yeah. are as women and with families and other people in your life. It's just, yeah. I just love it. I just love every word she's written. Kind of get um, when Laura was saying before about it making her angry. I, I kind of the book doesn't make you angry, but some of the subjects, you, you know, you kind of make you a bit. Well, where do I go with this now, though? I'm a bit cross. Yeah. How do we change things? Yeah. Uh, you know. Um, and I totally agree. I know it's cha- leaping on to chapter twenty, but it just seems apt now about the women's union. Oh. I mean, how amazing would that be? A women's union, but she actually at the very beginning calls it a collective. She does. I know, and I was really at the yes. story going, oh my goodness. And then we obviously chose the word womankind collective, but I thought, yes. oh, perfect. Yeah. Yes, it's perfect. It's... So we don't mind being your being the women's union for anybody out there listening. <laughs> if you want us to raise any subject, I can't say either one of us are going to be prime minister at any point. But God, you know, no. we, we we will try and fight your corner if we can, won't we, Lou? <laughs> we we cer- we certainly we certainly will. I mean, I was. Um, I think it was on chapter 17, moving around and mo- moving the piles of yes things around. And, and you know, it's things that love. make... I, I was reading this again this morning, going, mm. that's me, the box yeah. of cables, you know, and then she's got all the holiday brochures and lovely walks. And like she says, I'm not, ho- I'm not Judith Pajamas, <laughs> you know, and there's a... Yeah. And I've got this, I did this actually last week, a collection of single earrings that she's lost and bits of jewellery I've got because I'm going to make something I mean what the fuck am I going to make I'm just going to make another pile of rubbish that's what I'm going to make but I was like oh my gosh she's speaking to me 
yeah yeah exactly and then it's it's what she says she says that things a woman will have done by the age of 40 which will show her what she wanted to be but hasn't been yet (laughs) it's so true isn't it yeah and then we, we get back onto the, she's got a collection of over 100 pairs of suspenders and hold up stockings and fishnets and everything else for a sexy weekend away. But actually what she does pack for a sexy weekend away is a bottom control M&S tight <laughs> and the nice big pants again and a, yeah. a menopause friendly pants. Yeah, I love that chapter. Yeah, it really just brought everything up. And the candle, she's got this candle on the side that is too expensive and too lovely to light. But I've got a Jo Malone candle downstairs. That candle is burning as we speak. Yeah. Because I'm not, I'm, I know you like that. I'm not falling into that trap. But we're actually, we're all there. Um, and we're yeah. gloriously there. And I love that. I absolutely yeah. love it. And and the part with her daughter. Um, yes. Oh, that just made me cry. But, but she was ready, wasn't she? She was ready to change. She didn't yes. want to do it anymore. Yeah, and, it and the angst and... and everything she went through as a mum with that it's just it was quite heartbreaking it was it was a hard one it was a hard one for me to read but it was a beautiful yeah. one at the same time yeah it was and the last chapter I just loved because it's it's just about you know we, there, there is a lot of downsides to being middle-aged and menopausal but there's a huge amounts of positivity around it as yes. well we've just got to we've just got to get through it and find them yeah and she says about how wonderful life can be in a, in a middle-aged woman and um and how all of our stories will be different um but how how also you find the other women other middle-aged women more glorious than anyone else suddenly don't you just yeah and 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 it was actually not having the fear when she was diving into the ponds and all she'd have been worried about in her youth were the eels getting her yeah and like now and i think she her quote is when when now if the eels were in her house she'd just be sweeping them away because there's actually there's bigger shit going on in life and actually you've actually had that bigger shit haven't you I absolutely loved every single word of this book and I would yeah. recommend it. For- so if you haven't picked it up yet, oh uh, please, please do. Please do. <laughs> it's it's definitely worth the read. And it, and if you ever feel alone with what you're going through, you won't when you read this oh, book. Oh, you so yeah. won't. Um, yeah. We've got another amazing book for next we're gonna start next week and we will put this on, on the gram. Yes. But we're going to be reading our next book collective is Untamed by Glennon Doyle, which I think you will absolutely. I've read it and I know you haven't, Jin. So I know nope. this is a brand new one. You're going to break the spine on this. Yeah, I'm really looking forward. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it, Luke, because I remember you talking about it. I had to get online and order it. And um, so I went online, found it, blah, blah, blah. I was just about to order it. And and, um, the doorbell rang and I went and did something else. And then had a look at my book pile, which over the last 12 months of lockdown, oh my God, I've bought so many books. (laughs) I don't, please tell me if anyone else has got addicted to book buying. (laughs) Me too. Oh my God. I've got so many to read and I can't, I just don't know. I finish one and I think, oh God, I don't know what to read next. So I'm so excited by them all. Um, and lucky I did look at that pile because guess what was already there? It was there, Dusty. was it? It was there. I just, God knows when I bought it. Probably when you first started talking about Probably. it ages ago. <laughs> but I've got it. Anyway, it's all there ready and I can't wait to, to get to get started on that, Lou. So we're going we're gonna to start on that next week. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. So... Um, I'm still we're calling it ACV now because obviously I'm an old pro oh, um, apple cider vinegar I am <laughs> um, not drinking it neat I am putting it in food I've put it in we shall move on to our foodie collective shall we Lou 
Yes, why not? So, Paris, I did another, I did the My So Stew again, chucked it in there. Lovely. We had a meringue, I put it in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am having it, but I just yeah, couldn't have it. Um, it. It's very difficult to drink, especially, and really, and somebody asked, didn't they, about teeth. how it affects your teeth. Yeah, and drinking it neat is not advisable anyway, and although some people do, do knock it back, but it isn't. It's very acidic, so it can take the sort of enamel off your teeth yes. if you have it every day. But with you can mix it. It's recommended diluted about five times water to one part um uh, vinegar so you know but even that you can st- it still taste like you're drinking vinegar uh, it's too much <laughs> for me it makes me gag uh, but you know it's not I'm not everybody so I'm like you I do I put it in salad dressings and yeah all that sort of and thing. it's a and good it, way forward with it isn't it yeah it is I just have to say I love how on the on the Instagram you didn't actually put apple cider vinegar you just put willies <laughs> so any anyone that didn't know what you meant <laughs> yeah I was willies. having a great time in my kitchen yeah. I can tell you <laughs> It was all going Den on. Den of iniquity. <laughs> yeah. So um, apple cider vinegar is one of the, we were just going to talk a little bit about probiotics today. So we're talking about gut health all through our foodie collective this month. Um, probiotics, uh, basically uh, a one way of keeping your gut really, really helpful. And what probiotics are, it can be a bit confusing because you've got probiotics, prebiotics and symbiotics. There's lots of this mm-hmm. stuff and there's supplements and all sorts. So basically put very simply, and I'm no nutritionist, we have got one coming in in two weeks, haven't we, Lou? We have. Ellis Flint, so she will much more about this than me. But very simply, probiotics are helpful, beneficial live bacteria, which our bodies have. They have billions of them and they keep us healthy. But most of these or many of them are in our gut and they make up our gut flora. Really, really important. Um, we're all different so some ha- people have more some people have have less um, but we can ha- massively help with our diet so you, a lot of chronic disorders such as ibs um, that's irritable bowel syndrome crohn's ulcer- ulcerative colitis um, inflammatory disorders like arthritis they're all affected by gut bacteria oh. um, also probiotics can improve mood and memory and learning which in menopause as we all know we need to keep our brains going because of brain fog so it's it's, they're really really good so these are the good guys i kind of them as my little samurai in my gut you know they're there guarding away they're looking after my my stomach and they're just creating this happy ecosystem really interesting because i mean you are a school day i am learning always learning yeah and it amazes me i get to 52 nearly 53 and you know and these things i never knew before it's only really in recent years, it's sort of the last 10 to 20 years that these that the probiotics and prebiotics have been named and actually what, you know, they've discovered more and more because our stomach is a second brain. So this is, you know, and there's a lot of signals um, from the stomach to the brain. Uh, there's, in fact, there's more signals from the stomach to the brain than there are from the brain down to the stomach. Wow. Yeah. So well, it, my mind absolutely... is blown. So this is where you get butterflies um, and where, when people can say, oh, I feel this is right because I can feel it in my gut. Well, they are right. You know, you can, you get all these feelings and we've learned as women, particularly, we've learned to ignore them. Yeah. They don't matter. You haven't got instinct. You haven't got intuition. You're just this, you're just that. We need, you know, we need to kind of have that back. And it is, it is like you say, it's our second brain and it's very, very important. So, um, oh, did I hear you say, how do I get uh, probiotics? Yes, I do, did, yeah. did. I mean, obviously, that's got <laughs> my little list here, but how, how do we get them? <laughs> well, 
diet is the main way you can take some supplements um i'm not i don't know enough about those to go into but diet is always your first port of call so whatever you can get through your diet if you can eat them um that is so biotics are things uh fermented foods so 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 miso is a is fermented um and things like sauerkraut right. kimchi have you heard of yes kimchi? yes yeah yep. and kefir kombucha yep. they're both drinks fermented drinks um tempeh which is fermented uh, soy so it's like fermented tofu right okay um and even they've got the most probiotics in and they're all they've all got so many all all different ones but even things like um natural yogurt and labne and um and some cheese are really good even tea and coffee and cocoa beans have got some ah. fermentation in yeah so it's less to a lesser degree but they've they've got it in there um kefir is one of the that's got the most uh, one of the most diverse um probiotics in and the more diverse the better really but any any of those probiotics okay um, wow yeah so if you can include any of those your diet things like sauerkraut and kimchi are also symbiotics now symbiotics are both probiotic and prebiotic i won't go into prebiotics too much i'm going to do that next but basically what the prebiotics are these nourish the good microbes so you've got your samurai your probiotics you've eaten all your all the good stuff but how do they survive they survive with prebiotics so then you need to eat lots of prebiotics and we'll be going oh. through there but that's the things like onion so onions and cabbage are both prebiotics so it means that sauerkraut and kimchi they're symbiotic you've got both so you've got the and the prebiotics so yeah we'll go into the prebiotics a little bit more. right yeah it's very exciting stuff but and a lot for me to learn i'm going to be taking a lot of notes next week yeah yeah do and oh, you probably say, won't hear from me next week because i'll just be scribbling away listening and writing notes <laughs> yeah exactly I'm, not, I'm forgetting i'm doing a podcast and actually talking <laughs> and save save a lot of your notes for emma because emma is just the, the gut health queen she is she will be um absolutely amazing but it also has to be said that some people don't get on with fermented foods in in menopause um a lot of people become intolerant to histamine um, and if you suffer from from um, histamine intolerance it means you can't eat fermented foods oh, but there okay. are there are other ways yeah there are other other ways of, of trying of getting your probiotics and that's where supplements may may be more useful to you so um so there you go Lou. So brilliant we'll, well that is super week. interesting i can tell you yeah. love that about your stomach is your second brain because i don't listen to mine enough you're right when you get butterflies and you you go with your gut feeling and yeah. and i've started to go with my gut rather than my head because my head talks me out of things your stomach knows best completely and what happens as well if you try if you're going to combine that with your meditation and what what starts to happen is less thinking less overthinking rather so you combine this gut feeling with less overthinking the overthinking is the is the part that tells you you can't do that what you want about this will happen that will happen oh don't do that or this you know why did you yeah, say that you talk yourself out of it don't you yeah you really do so the meditation hugely helps with that because you can kind of then pause and think hang on a minute that's not me <laughs> that's that's my overthinking i can just leave that there for a moment i'm not inviting them in for tea they can stay no, out they, there. <laughs> they can stay outside the front door exactly so once <laughs> you learn it's not an instant thing it's just a gradual thing and it's fun learning lou isn't it it is it really is and i'm so enjoying this journey it's really good
Brilliant. So next week, prebiotics. Right. So this is Autism Awareness Week. Our topic is autism in girls and women. And you may be surprised to know that A, girls do have autism, and B, the traits of autism may present quite differently in girls compared with boys, uh, which is why it's often misdiagnosed or undiagnosed completely. Um, So research suggests that criteria for diagnosis is based on scientific evidence of autism in boys, um, as we've learned, Mm. most research is done in men and boys. So as a result, diagnosing girls with autism usually occurs later in their development than it does for males. Um, And there is only one girl to every three boys currently diagnosed with the autism spectrum disorder, as it's known now. Um, some common signs are avoid. There's many more than this, mm. but these are just some of the common ones: avoiding eye contact, not smiling if you smile at them, very upset at certain smells, sounds, uh, touch, textures, um, not seeming to understand what others are thinking or feeling. As I said, there's many more. Um, so let's hear from our guests um, who know about all these struggles, um, Lynn and Libby Curtis. Yeah, so Lynn is a current student of Exeter University studying a master's in applied clinical psychology and also working on a collaborative COVID-19 research project with Cambridge University. She has a diagnosis of ADHD with aspects of autism And Libby, her daughter, is a 20-year-old self-employed worker for families with children with autism. Her diagnosis was high-functioning autism, which... Hi, so welcome, Lynn and Libby. How are you doing? Yeah, we're doing well, thank you, Jinty. Doing all right. Good. Good. Lynn, if if we if we can come to you first, you so you weren't diagnosed till you were forty. So how how did that diagnosis come about? So um, obviously, Libby's my youngest daughter. Yeah. So I've got five children, and um, three of my children have autism. Right. And so my diagnosis came about um, really through the process of when the children were being diagnosed. Um, I essentially all three of the children were pretty much diagnosed within 18 months of each other. And I suppose basically I wanted to be a role model for them and I wanted them to see that, um, you know, rather than this being a a label of disability, if you like, it was an acknowledgement of need, perhaps more, and and also gifts in in a lot of ways, and that actually it is possible to... um, live a perfectly happy and sort of fulfilling life um, with autism and I knew from what I'd read and what I understood that I was autistic and so that's why I chose to get diagnosed. I see so you kind of knew already you thought felt the diagnosis was really important uh, to for the children which is amazing. Yeah I think so and I think actually also it was affirming for myself too really um because I, I always felt that I lived in a little bit of a bubble and that perhaps I saw things differently than other people. I mean, you know, I, I'm talking my awareness, I guess, of my difference. I'm talking like over sort of 40 years ago now. There was no language to describe or, or lens to understand my experience through. So at times that was quite isolating and lonely and also quite confusing I think by the time I'd had the children, my, my sister had trained to be an, an early years teacher. 
and uh, and I'd spent most of my adult life trying to understand my difference if you like so I'd done a lot wow. of research you know I'd looked into it a lot um, and as the evidence started coming through really at the time it was more around Asperger's they don't really use that that label anymore but that was the, the condition that sort of started coming through that I could identify most with I suppose then that became high functioning autism and now I think we would call that um I'm not I'm obviously verbal and I'm able to engage you know so there's kind of yeah. degrees of how the autism may express itself so yeah it was really useful and it was just that kind of thing that now, I feel really strongly people can get quite upset about the idea of labels. But the thing is, is whether you call my autism autism or you don't, I've still got it. Mm. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah, and that, that's yeah. so true. Can I ask Lynn as well, what, what traits did you have? What I think the hardest one is I've always had a sort of a perspective on my thinking, if that makes sense. So I could always kind of see and sense my thought processes. I was always hyper aware of how my brain worked and also hyper aware of having to monitor my brain worked and kind of regulate how I translated that into the way I communicated with other people. Obviously, yeah. That must be exhausting. It, it is. Yeah. And I think this is the main component of autism. And um, I was yeah. speaking to a, a fatigue specialist yesterday. It is. And this is what I found with the children when they were going to school. It, it's very difficult as a family because literally all we can really do is to get up in the morning, to get ready, to go out and do life, come yeah. home, de-process de all of the overstimulation um, and calm ourselves down enough to be able to go to bed. Um, that's it. So like all the sort of the clubs and the going out for coffees and um, all of those sort of things are just too much for us, really it's too exhausting and and if I don't manage my exhaustion or, or the effort if you like and, and the same with the children if I wasn't careful to regulate effort that they were expending then what happens is the symptoms escalate things like the anxiety will go through the roof because you you no longer have the cognitive energy if you like to manage anxiety levels um, the, the biggest issue I think with, with, with the autism from my perspective is just no filter so sensory information uh, I have no filter on it you know I, I'm just as acutely aware of you know the noise of the fridge downstairs as I am with the person sat next to me talking it, it's all of those things that are quite tiring of what I learned about myself I learned as I saw the children develop to be honest with you because it was easier for me to experience it sort of second hand really and, and I could understand better like a mirror I suppose isn't it because you're watching it then and you, you, you've got that better understanding because you're seeing it yeah and, and also seeing the impact I think I think yeah. when, when it's yourself when it's your own personal lived experience it's hard to have a perspective isn't it but I kind yeah. of see the biggest things that sort of makes me a bit emotional actually the saddest thing is that we're all really loving and kind as a family you know like very very deeply fiercely loving and kind but often can be perceived as being cold and arrogant torn, yeah and that's really hard and it's hard hard to depend and hard because there's just lack of understanding isn't there lynn and around it all and it's, I think especially in girls mm. Um, I think it's massively we're meant to be normally but what is normal yeah and I think I think with the girls so it's a funny thing really because so the difference between the girls and the boys 
my experience, so this was just with my children, he basically was diagnosed on the back of the boys. If I wasn't in the process of getting the boys diagnosed, I don't think I would have been able to get Libya diagnosis, but I'm quite wow. a resourceful person. <laughs> Yes, you've had to be. And, and I piggybacked <laughs> Libby's diagnosis on the back of the boys. Um, but basically, Libby would never have been diagnosed because she never caused anybody any trouble in her entire life. And the boys weren't naughty, but they eldest son, he, he couldn't even be in a classroom. And and my younger son, you know, so uncomfortable in his own skin, you know, he was almost ripping it off most of the time. But but Libby basically internalized, I mean, this is only my perspective, Libby can share more, but you know, to a large extent she internalized and was in her own little bubble, which is how I remember myself child as well, you know. And and also all of us are are quite academically capable. So there was no incentive um an academic point of view for anybody to give us any interventions or support because basically as far as everyone was concerned we weren't a problem and broadly speaking fitted in in the way that was needed but the cost of the fitting in that's the problem that's it isn't it squeaky door um, always you know is the one that gets oiled yeah. and, and it tends to be the girls because it's more internal yeah. and girls perceived to be okay yeah. you know that it's okay if they're yeah. quiet if they don't say very much if they don't speak very much um but with with boys it comes out in a different way and as i say it's the squeaky door that gets oiled so they get sort of do that usually that that little bit quicker mm. it's it's so important because i think internalizing is have more damage in the long run can't it before we go on i can just see libby is desperate to um add yeah. something in on that um i can see because i wanted to just like agree with the whole like internalizing thing but i think just exactly what has happened is a very good example is that i was quiet and not saying anything because i didn't want to interrupt anyone um <laughs> or be rude and i think i think is very good reflection Brilliant. of what it was like to to grow up with with autism the whole yeah I just completely agree and I think it definitely is internalized and then I think a lot of it goes unnoticed because then people talk to me about my autism but they would approach it in a very neurotypical way and just ask me are you okay with this is this all right but obviously because I didn't want to cause any fuss or uh, I just didn't yes. want to be an issue so I'd be like yeah it's fine and then it wouldn't be fine and I would have to just keep yeah. it all inside. And then I think from that, it would turn the volume up on everything. And then I'd come home and everything be really stressed out. And then I wouldn't be able to relax, like, in my own house. And that was really yeah. a, a big problem that not, not so much in primary school, but when I was, like, 16, that was a really big problem that I had is that I so stressed out and comfortable with school and how it was all going but I just really felt like I couldn't say anything so then I'd come home and I just wouldn't even be able to relax in my own house and it was just very difficult because then I sort of felt like I had nowhere I could just be yeah and it's difficult because obviously I can't really say that the school weren't doing their job because most of the time I would tell them that it was fine and that everything was okay even then a lot of the time I tell them that it wasn't okay and I would tell them what I needed and they just sort of really do that yeah. for me or tell me that it wasn't maybe because I didn't like kick up enough of a fuss or make such a big deal out of it yeah everyone was like well it, it can't be that much of a problem but it really was it just like someone could see how I felt because I had made it such a secret to myself like, yeah like the, yeah. I think I think mum definitely noticed and like the people on me and closest to me noticed but obviously you know people at school aren't like your teachers aren't really close to you and they don't see you when you're at home I think that's something that I've definitely struggled with is that the internalizing of it 
and not telling anyone and it's a secret and like I don't want to cause a fuss do you think if there had been somebody at school that had kind of specialized or that kind of understood autism or particularly autism in girls um do you think that would I think that would have really helped because I think a lot of the teachers the understanding that they had of autism was well because I feel like a lot of people from what I've experienced a lot of people understand autism well they didn't even know that autism is different from in boys than in girls and everyone just thinks that male autism is all autism and that's just really not true because if you I mean I think autism is very different for each individual person but I feel like there are so many more similarities with me and my mum being autistic than there are with me and either of my brothers well maybe not so much my younger brother but definitely my older brother our our autism came out in completely different ways but I guess on surface level we were both equally as capable like at school and going to places from what I can remember we could pretty much do this the same thing socially but then obviously when we got overstimulated or when we couldn't relax it came out so different like like because I would like shut myself away in my room and not talk to anyone and then he would um sort of expel everything outwards rather than keeping it in and I think that's just just that alone is just like yeah, so completely different. So you were in, internal, he was doing external. Yeah, definitely. And I think that yeah. it just really, well, because then obviously people will see that and then think, oh, well, Libby's autism isn't as severe or she doesn't need as much help. Mm-hmm. But that couldn't be further from the truth. Like, well, because I'm not saying that his is worse than mine or mine is worse than his. I'm just, it just, it because it looks so different and people take it at, at face value. You think- and keeping things in is so much worse for you, Libby, isn't it? You know, mm-hmm. by expelling them, at least there's something coming out. But you were keeping, you were internalizing everything. Yeah, and I, I, I still, I still get this today. But I think one, one of the main things is that it just got to the point where, like, I would like have the words in my head, and it's almost like they were the words were in my mouth trying to get out, but I just couldn't, I just couldn't say things. Like if something was bothering me, I just couldn't get it out, and I think that is something that I've really struggled with and like still struggle with is that sometimes I just can't say things that and in, then that internalization is actually really dangerous and it's yeah. dangerous in different ways with girls and boys so what Libby so so as a background to all of this you know Libby wasn't able to access school from year what year was it Libs what when I stopped going to school yeah um I was in year nine or year eight year eight or nine to um when she finished her GCSEs um Libby was basically spent most of her time in what was then like like an outreach center within the school I don't know if it exists anymore I mean it was we were so lucky really because one of the um teachers down there had set that unit up it was called the reach unit and it gave Libby the flexibility to be in mainstream school, but not in mainstream school. But it was very hard then because, I mean, we're, we're talking, um, what we're we talking about three or four years ago now. The schools have no autonomy. People don't understand this, but they have no autonomy around attendance. The pressure on the schools from government and local council around attendance is horrendous. And it means that it's very hard for them to give a child-centered approach to flexible timetables and attendance but the reality of it was was that Libby was a school refuser for all of those four years and literally every morning I would wake up feeling sick because I knew 
It would yeah. take us from half past seven. If we were lucky by half past 10, we may have been able to get Libby to school. So it wasn't even a case of, um, there was the issue obviously, I mean, I was quite often threatened with legal action, um, but more than that, she wasn't getting her education. <laughs> No. So there, is, there are more yeah. things around, and I want to say this out loud to any of your listeners, because a lot of people, don't, there's something called an inclusion team, and there are now medical inclusion schools as well. So locally, there's a school called Torlands Academy in Exeter, and um, they are much more able to cater to, especially at difficult transitionary periods. So if someone's having a particularly hard time, um, they're not seen as a long-term solution, but but they can offer support for periods of time, and they they are brilliant. That school is fantastic. Um, yeah, and, and also, yeah, also you know, they've made some in our local school. They have made some major changes to to the support that they're able to offer now. I think what Libby um, is is alluded to earlier, though, is this thing about people's understanding of what autism is. You know, like. It's very yes. difficult. The the internalizing thing um, was dangerous because then you're going down the routes of, um, you know, like if we're frank about it with autism, you're talking about suicidal feelings, suicide yeah. attempts, yeah. severe depression, um, self-harm, uh, the risk of eating disorders and the risk of substance Use. Mm. all of those things are serious risks and whilst they mm. are issues which pose a risk to any teenager the problem mm. is with autism mm. is what you've got is an obsessive element to a personality yeah. which means that if someone with autism starts cutting it can become an obsession if someone with autism gets an eating disorder it can become very obsessive um, you know yes. so you've got essentially obsessive um, disorders, if you like, that then can be really entrenched with autism. And, very, and we, we have had, <clears throat> generically as a family, lots of issues around food. Um, again, eating disorders with autism, massively under, misunderstood. I mean, eating disorders, you can't get help for eating disorders anyway, unless you're literally no. nearly dead, you can't get help for it. Mm. Um, and the problem is with the autism is that you've got issues around food like I can't I really struggle to cook because I cannot bear the smell of food cooking so I if you if someone cooks me a meal I'm happy to go and sit and eat it but if I've yeah. cooked it I feel so sick I can't eat it so you've got mm. real aspects to it and and I think with the boys um Libby said she you know it's right what she said it, it depends on personalities but the risks of um I think probably more um high risk behavior you know certainly my eldest son like myself has autism and ADHD you know so then you've got a personality who is not only obsessive but is also compulsive so you know that they can be really you know I always felt I've quite frankly my and I always said to the schools and all the professionals that have supported us my my um bar is set low I just wanted all of my children to hit 21 alive you know that, that was it I wasn't yeah. you know everybody else was talking about grades and going to university and all the wonderful opportunities that are available you know to young people growing up I just wanted my children to be alive at 21 because the yeah. risks especially yeah. for the boys of them not being alive are really high yeah yeah 
yeah that's it's quite frightening it's quite frightening what for anyone listening lynn and and libby that maybe thinks that they might have certain traits or that their daughter um might have certain traits what how would it present itself so if you were sort of really internalizing what 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 would you want people to look for or what what would what would you as a mum look for lynn you obviously knew because you had those traits yourself um, but how, how would it kind of present itself uh, as an aversion to senses and smells? Would that? Um, I think one of the things that, well, because obviously like, I know that when, obviously when mum was growing up, she knew that she was different, but wasn't diagnosed until she was 40. But I grew up always knowing that I had autism. So I sort of, as I'm living it, I kind of, I feel like I maybe notice things more rather than like in retrospect. Yes. And what I would say yes. regarding sensory things is that one of the main things is definitely food. Cause there's so much sensory stuff going on with food. Like obviously like chewing food is hearing and the tasting and the textures. I would say for me, one of the things is I probably seemed like quite a picky eater or like I didn't like healthy foods and I was just more into junk food as a kid which I'm sure lots of children are but the reason for that was because with like vegetables and fruits and like tomatoes especially there's just so much going on <laughs> like and I would say tomatoes don't know if they're especially if they're raw like you bite into it and it's crunchy but then it's like soft on the inside and there are seeds there's just a lot going on <laughs> And so I would I would say That's definitely so I would say that definitely so like around food and dinner time maybe if you feel like maybe you're a picky eater or your child is a picky eater I think may, maybe not but maybe there is something to look into there because usually yeah, well, because because yeah. I, I think I know my my daughter went um, very suddenly suddenly she was really picky and then I want to become a vegetarian this is at 13 which I know a lot do but then then you know I want to be vegan you know yeah. later that didn't last very long <laughs> but um but yeah I think it can sometimes it can start can't it with kind of cutting out certain foods as you, as you say that become a bit too complicated or a bit too over overly um yeah sensory. I think that's definitely true because like because it, it's not about being a picky eater or I don't like fruit and veg or anything like that it's about like this was sensory overload like in your mouth and it's just like well because my my big mm. thing was like it was spinach I just couldn't it, I, I, I like I can't explain it I just Melons. couldn't yeah because I slimy jelly, me. jelly. <laughs> yeah like it's just it's not because I'm picky it's because I put them in my mouth and I feel like I'm gonna retch because the texture is just horrible and I think with picky eaters maybe instead of just say you have to finish everything on your plate I think it's a very I think it would be very telling to maybe just have a conversation with your child and say why don't you like this like what is it about this that you don't like and then it would be like say good say like well yeah. like I didn't like well and it might be something as simple as like instead of roasting vegetables like steaming them because very different or like instead of like spaghetti having pasta it, it can be sometimes as simple as that I think food yeah. is definitely a, a teller um for autism yes and I think well obviously sometimes kids just don't like certain foods but I also think another thing that goes hand in hand with that is um having safe foods 
and being like really fixated on one type of food and I don't think that's I think definitely there's probably some stigma around that but like well like me I have toast for breakfast pretty much every morning and there's nothing wrong with that I, this is what I like to have but I feel like stuff like that is also a tell of autism because it's having this, having food that you're not scared of eating because you know you like it or like um yeah yeah or like if maybe your child has the same cereal every day and they can't have any different cereal because it has to be the cereal that they have yeah. I think that is can be an autistic thing I think as young children yeah. so in terms of the parent so obviously I can't speak as a neurotypical parent because I'm not one but but trying to be a bit objective about so with so there's several so as a baby if if mm -hmm. you have a baby that screams and can't be comforted I think that's quite telling um and also if it has if a baby has a certain pitch of a scream so my children on the spectrum not all not Libby didn't actually but the boys they had this pitch of scream that literally froze your cerebral cortex like it it sent you into fight flight it was a it was so distinctive wow. it would make the hairs on you it made me go rigid okay it was very distinctive so I'd heard it with Peter, I, with with my eldest son, um, Alex. I think I think possibly Libby did do it a little bit, but I think it was different with her. I can't remember properly, but I'm not quite sure well, about crying. What I would say about babies is because obviously I well just from home videos, like mum, like you just said, I didn't really do the screen. No, you didn't. But what I would do is same with internalizing. Is I would just sit in the chair that mum would put me in and I would just be there and like just look at my hands yeah that's a really good point so with the girls so with Libby she's absolutely right she Libby was a really good baby so Libby would mm -hmm. I could put Libby into her um little chair and she would sit there for hours just looking at her hands moving um, another other things with young children um, they don't play with toys none of my children are like I spent all this money on toys none of them ever played with toys they didn't play with toys ever they weren't interested um, Libby as I say was very easy um, and really um, never not a demanding child at all seemed very compliant actually exactly what Libby's just said there mm -hmm. and so again this is another reason I think why girls would go under that radar but what Libby said as well the sensory stuff starts coming through so things like when Libby was sort of two and a half and she was walking you know she used to wrap herself like a cocoon in this massive blanket and so she'd go everywhere wrapped in this blanket there was a lot of sensory wow. seeking going on so like there were silky edges to this particular blanket so but great attachment to this blanket so objects um you know like safe objects of comforting objects yeah. mm -hmm. i think yeah. real attachment if you if if, if if you've got a child who literally cannot exist without their certain blanket or their certain toy i think that is you know you could be asking yourself questions there um as Libby went on there were developmental things as well so so things like um speech um delay uh, Libby used to talk <laughs> she didn't talk in sense so she would literally sing these great long sentences of non-words um 
and and things like um, toilet training was very difficult. It, 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 so what what started to become apparent was more so with Libby than really the boys actually. Um, I had to actively teach Libby everything. She didn't learn by seeing. You couldn't just do things around Libby and she would learn, you, you know, even things like showering and, and personal care. These sort of, It's like, well, what's the point? Why do I need to do that? And, and I don't care. You know? <laughs> um, so it's all. And, yeah. and I think really a, a lot by the time Libby was sort of 11-ish, it was quite obvious that a lot of things were like two years behind developmentally. And so I suppose... Yeah. What I'm really saying, especially with the girls, I think it's instinctive. I just think as a mother, you would know. And I think you wouldn't. So with my neurotypical children, I have had to mm -hmm. teach myself to be connected to them as their mother. So to feel them as people, I've had to yeah. teach myself. I would imagine if you if you were neurotypical and you had an autistic child, you might find yourself having to learn how to connect and love that child because I suspect it possibly wouldn't yeah. come naturally. And I, I would say that yeah. definitely well, the, the only reason I'm saying this is because I, um, I'm currently working for a family that the children are on the spectrum, but the parents are not. And I think from what I've heard from them, that is quite true. And it's understandable because obviously when you're a young child with autism, it's sort of like from what I can remember, I just wanted to do everything by myself. And I wasn't interested in yes. toys, but then I found out about My Little Ponies and like all I wanted to do was <laughs> by myself <laughs> with the my little ponies and play with them for hours and it's like I didn't need anyone else for that and so like I didn't need my mum or dad to come and play with me or I didn't need all my siblings to come no, and join and, in and and what about no and what about sort of as far as go, like hugging you know hugging your mum or or um hugging you know I would say well because that's another thing this is when I was younger I was told I think so I think a lot of the things I was told about autism when I was younger, I think, are more for autism in boys, because what I've seen from my older brother, especially, is he's really not big on or like, well, because you had to teach Alex how to hug you. He, he hugs now. Big hugger. He <laughs> See, this is myth, isn't it? What Libby's saying again here is myth. It's a myth that children on the spectrum or people on the spectrum don't like to be hugged because actually, people on the yeah. spectrum like a firm. So, so it's to do a precipitative feedback, body feedback. People on the spectrum don't like a loose, fluffy hug. Like they don't want, but a deep. A deep hug of somebody trusted is a really special thing. And I, I would say that it definitely, I think there definitely is some truth to it, but I think that's because like, obviously if I'm having a bit of a sensory overload, I don't want anyone to touch me because then that's like more things to have to deal with. But what I, I, I do completely agree with mum in, in saying that like, I remember a lot of the time, when I was younger I would ask people to squeeze my hand like as hard as they could or like hug me as hard as they could because I just the feeling right. of the pressure and the squeeze it just really like it like really calmed me down and made me feel like centered like being reassuring yeah being well. yeah basically Libby was always Libby was always very very affectionate the boys they they weren't so that more that was that was a taught thing they are affectionate this is and this is another myth like my eldest son now is 
so loving and so protective. He always was really loving. He's very and thoughtful as well. He really, really thinks about yeah, people. Yeah, he really, really does. But that how that gets expressed, if you don't understand, you wouldn't recognise it. That, and that's what's so sad, I see. you know. Yeah. I think that's what's yeah. so sad. And I think yeah. this is the thing where it can be tricky because you're, you're sat there as a person on the spectrum and you've got needs that you can't express. And and the other thing about that internalization thing, I was going to say, there's also a breakdown between my understanding of my physical needs. So it's not just that I can't express it. It's often I don't know. So I, I won't know. I never know if I'm hungry. I don't really know if I'm hot or cold. It's very hard for me to read my body signals. Really difficult. I don't know when I've overdone it and done too much. It's really difficult. And the other thing that all of us um, suffer with is that none of us respond typically when we're ill so none of us get temp so Lib Libby I think I said in the thing you know when she was a baby she had um, yeah. a serious septic infection she never even had a temperature I mean she, she literally did nearly die oh, she was rushed to Great Ormond Street and they had to do an emergency operation on her because she was she had septicemia and she was going to die um but but yeah. nobody knew but you know well i mean i did but only instinctively but so one of the things that's been really tricky with bringing the children up i cannot trust anything i see so i can't trust the monitor i can't trust what i'm seeing in front of me because i could have a seriously sick child and and pain is the other problem yeah. none of us we've got really high pain tolerance so we can be in huge amounts of pain um, and not know ourselves. So we might be behaving in an aggressive way or, or perhaps um, a defensive way or like Libby says, like a withdrawn and shut down way. And it might be because we're in crippling pain. We just don't know it. So these things are really tricky. And as an adult, the reality of it is <clears throat> essentially my closest relationships around me are people who really, to be honest with you, are also my carers. They're people who can read my signals, who I don't need to verbalise to, who know kind of what I need. Um, and I think as a family, we've kind of built that around us all. We, we, we've got a sort of a little bit of an off-grid lifestyle where we've got this sort of beautiful little community of people around us. <clears throat> who can meet our needs and understand what we need but without it having to be a thing yeah that's uh, that, and that and that's wonderful isn't it in that sense and talking about you you and your health lynn um and i know we're going to hopefully do another podcast on this on long covid um but you because you've been struggling with long covid for about a year now plus yeah. menopause um and how how do you think the has the autism kind of made any difference to either to the menopause or to the long covid or or just your perception? no i no i don't think it's to do with perception i th i think there's an understanding certainly of the research groups that i'm involved in that um things like so so things like a viral infection like covid so Li libby had a viral a, a bacterial infection okay so she so so this won't have helped libby's situation either having had a serious bacterial infection at the age she was she was only five months old um <clears throat> so any sort of serious 
infection is going to cause us problems being on the spectrum because it will turn the volume up on our symptoms. So mo most infections come obviously with levels of inflammation. And, you know, so yes. with the COVID, for example, you know, it's, it's becoming much more understood that it causes inflammation in the brain. Well, I've already got a brain that doesn't work properly. So, well, not doesn't work properly. Mm -hmm. my, my brain doesn't work. No, it doesn't work properly. I, I think I, I prefer to see it like that because I think it's kinder to myself. My, my, the way my brain organizes things and the way my brain is able to communicate that, that, thing I said about being able to communicate what's inside having had COVID it's mm. a nightmare because it's literally built a brick wall what, what Libby was describing about that thing about having things inside that you can't get outside um, it's made that yes. really hard and and the other problem is 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 the fatigue that comes post viruses you know or post infection um, already it is very hard in terms of energy to live a day in my life, in my body and my brain. Um, and if you then add on, uh, you know, my body trying to recover from a serious infection, um, it causes trouble. So it, it would appear that it's turned up the volume. So, so I can't walk base. I can walk in my house. I can physically walk, but I, I can't walk outside and things because of the sensory overload. So like, um, I was trying to walk and there was a lot of the refuse lorry was next to me and I had to get straight back in my wheelchair because the noise of the lorry meant I couldn't concentrate on the walking. So, so it, it does, yeah, it does seem yeah. to certainly play a part in that in terms of the menopause. Again, I think it plays into all of these things. One of the gut health maybe talked about food um the, the the autism community were one of the first communities who really started looking into gut health and the connection between gut health and brain and they were absolutely cutting edge on this about 15 16 years ago and this and they were poo poo they were the first people who really pushed fish oils for example i tried that with the children yeah. um and libby mm -hmm. will say i mean less than the kids i tried all sorts of different diets on them i used to drive them nuts but really you know you need to kind of be gluten and lactose free really um and and there's issues mm -hmm. around gut health and the bacteria levels in the gut so essentially how I see it is that I've got a body that I have to actively help to maintain a homeostatic balance yeah. so in terms of hormones of course it's playing a part because my basic hormone levels take a lot to regulate anyway so then if you I've had 10 years of hell with the menopause absolute horrendous hell with the menopause oh. and then got long covid and it just was kind of like the final nail in the coffin really um but yes, I do think it plays a part. Hmm. Fantastic. Absolutely. And I've just got, to add, just got to add in there for anyone who doesn't know Lynn. Lynn used to do um, Ironman and triathlon. And not that that's, uh, you know, it, it's, but, but I'm just saying how it can kind of, do you think that just very quickly, Lynn, do you think that helped? Was that part of the autism, do you think? Or do you think it helped your... Um, yeah, I mean, um, exercise, again, like Libby was saying with the food thing, they're, they're tr tricky comb combinations, aren't they? And um, I think mm -hmm. exercise had always been a safety thing for me. And 
a lot of it I think was more about controlling my ADHD than my autism but where my autism played a part yes. was it made me more obsessive about it and actually I think yeah. probably the levels of exercise I did ultimately has been long-term detrimental to me because of the way I did it and how hard I did it and the sorts of racing I was doing and the training I was doing at the stage in my life I was doing it as a woman of 40 years old if I had my time again and I rarely I rarely say that, you know like I rarely have regrets but in terms of I don't have regrets but in terms of lessons learnt I think I put my body through far too much. I misunderstood as a woman the importance of the journey my body was going to be going through in the menopause. And I dealt with, um, if you like, my ADHD symptoms in a way that I thought would be helpful and had been useful to me as a teenager. But I actually think I depleted my body a lot you know and um, I became very anemic and and so then when I caught COVID I, I probably wasn't in the best way to then deal with that infection and and I think this is why I've ended up with essentially probably what will ultimately be called severe chronic fatigue um, but, but because yeah. like it's being talked about in, in in your podcasts and stuff you know I never had a clue about what the menopause meant how, how can we make Voices and decisions about yeah. what's right for our bodies. You know, I think if I, no, if I when we don't know. So, yeah. If I'd have done the yoga, I think I did start the yoga, you know, in my forties. If I'd have just stuck with the with Ashtanga yoga, I think that would have worked with my body. The training I was doing was punishing my body and it worked against it. And I don't actually think it did me any favours. I think that's Another thing about autism is the sort of like sometimes not knowing when to stop. And it's like, well, I mean, from from my perspective, from when you were doing your running and stuff is like, it's like, that's the only thing. And I think that's quite telling as well is when something becomes someone's only thing and they can only see that as part of their life. And sort of like not... Yeah. yeah and not knowing when to stop or yeah. that it's too much or like even even something as simple as like I used to make uh like paper paper clip chains and then mum would come into my room and be like Libby you need to go mm -hmm. to bed but I wouldn't know when to stop because I would just want to keep doing it I would never want to stop and just stuff like that and I think mm -hmm. what's really important is to have people around you that can see those things when you can't like I would say my big sister my older sister um definitely helps me out with that sort of stuff a lot and is sort of like maybe you need to stop or maybe you need to take some time for yourself because you've been doing quite a lot and I think because a lot of the time I find I seem to like accidentally hold myself to what I think is everyone else's standards and then so I think oh I'm just doing what everyone is doing but that's not fair because I'm not like everyone else and I don't think that's a bad thing no I don't think it's a bad thing it's just you no. know, see yeah. things slightly differently that's that's the, the key element there and I have to tell Lou to stop eating <laughs> yeah. um, orange yeah. swells quite a lot so oh my god I, she's I so think, good. <laughs> I like breeze girls now I tell you She's become you know, a, a woman obsessed yeah. by all I am a girls. woman obsessed. Do you know, it's been so lovely. I've felt quite emotional listening to you, but in a positive way. 
Um, and I think, Lynn, when you said that actually what, what you have is, is a gift, you yeah. know, um, at the beginning, you said your, your traits are actually gifts. And I wrote that down. I thought that was very beautiful. And I have learned so much from you two today. Mm. And I just want I, to I would, you. I would say that's something that has me really too. helped me growing up with someone that is autistic and knows that they're autistic because I think when well, because when I was in school and I would get like some extra support, I would say things like, Well, I'm different or I see things differently. And what everyone always jumped to say was just I don't I, I can't remember anything specifically, but people would just be like, Oh no, it's it's not, it's fine that you're different. But it, I think people misheard. I never said yes. that it wasn't okay that <laughs> I was different. I know I'm different and that's not a bad thing. Yeah. It's just the way that it is. And I never have ever said that it's bad that I'm different. I just know that I am. And I don't think that it's a bad thing to acknowledge that and to like, because pretending that I'm not different just doesn't help. It's a positive. I think yeah. we do that as humans, don't we? When somebody says, oh, I'm I'm not enough or I'm feeling like this, we jump to say, oh, yes, you are. Oh, yeah. you've got this and that. And actually, mm. you don't always need to hear that. You you want to hear it. You know, yes, you you are different, but yeah. it's great. It's good. You know, yeah. it can be. And I think sometimes it, yeah. it can just be really, yeah. like, reassuring as well. Because if I would say, like, oh, I don't think I can do this. And everyone's like, yes, you can, yes, you can. I think it can be really helpful for people to just be like, it's okay if you can't. And I think that's what mum did for me yes. quite a lot is um, in just my life, and especially with yeah. school, is that sometimes I'd be like, you know what, I really, I can't do this. And instead of being like, yes, you can, come on, you can do this. Sometimes it would just be a case of, okay, that's okay, you can't do this. And I'm okay yeah, I, and you know, Libby. Yeah, I think we all need to be a bit like that. Yeah, I really, I really do, and I think that's a really positive mm. thing to, to yeah. take away. That we we need to be a bit more like that. If we mm. don't want to do it, fine. Let's not do it. Some yeah. of the yeah. gifts. So the gifts very quickly because I'm conscious of the time. But um, so I've, I I live my life in a bubble. So to a large extent, I literally do not give a absolute flying stuff about what anyone else thinks, says, feels, or about anything I do so it has given me huge freedom in my life and I would say with the children as well it it does give us a huge amount of freedom to kind of live off grid because we have to live in a way that meets our needs and we don't actually give us stuff what anyone else thinks yeah. because we generally don't really like other people anyway and the other thing that is a massive <laughs> gift with it and and there's a huge benefit and i think um you know it, it certainly the tech industry you know our brains work in really clever ways like we see things and we see patterns of things that neurotypical people don't see because their brains just aren't wired like ours do and the way they see patterns and process I can process enormous amounts of information relatively quickly and and the other big gift of it and which is what Libby was saying about the misunderstandings you know we love fiercely like our family is so tight like we love each other so deeply and fiercely we don't fall out we don't fight we just don't you know like I'm not saying that as a but we genuinely we just don't because we all really pull together because everybody gets that everybody's doing their best in in, in under difficult circumstances and I, and I think the biggest gift probably for me as a mother 
of children with autism uh, is sort of the, the community that we've been able to build now the children are older. I mean, you do get 15 years, you will get nothing back. Anyone who's got a child with autism, you will be lucky. You, you won't get love for a very, very long time. But then when it comes, it's real and it's deep and it's lifelong. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. so useful. Amazing, amazing. Um, so we 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 asked you if you could give three tips. Um, oh yes. Either between you or or each. Do you remember them, or have you got three tips that you'd like to give, either in the the the, te the um subject that we're talking I about? I would or just say generally? for three tips, one of them would be that definitely if if you have autism, maybe. Well, actually, no, I can't speak for, for boys with autism because I'm not a boy with autism. But um, <laughs> one of them is definitely to sort of take a step back and really honestly ask yourself, am I doing too much? Or is, like, just even, like, with schoolwork or work work, am I working too much? Because my working week probably looks very different to someone else's working week because I just simply and honestly cannot do the same amount of work that someone else could do and that's okay but I think that it did take me some time to sort of learn that and I think that it's something that is best learned quickly um I guess I would yes. also say as a tip well you, you, you do your tips now so well my tips were quite easy I think um, first, so the biggest thing, and again, this is something Libby's turned on. I can't remember all three of them, but I know the first one is don't listen to anyone else's tips because, I mean, it's <laughs> really good. Don't, don't get me wrong. Basically, <laughs> you know, one thing I've learned is we're all very different and my tips aren't going to work for anybody else. But I've got a lovely quote that I would like to read that is really important to me. And it says, and this is about advocating, really, so that it, this is about when we find our way so remember that your real job is that if you are free you need to free someone else if you have some power then your job is to empower someone else and that's written by tony morrison and i think that's what i've tried to do with, yeah that's what i've tried to do with the children it's like you know, I found freedom with my autism. So then I've tried to free them and I've got power as an adult and I've tried to empower them and give them voices. And that's fantastic, Lynn. That is just, that, that's yeah. a beautiful thing to end on. That is just lovely, Lynn. Thank you. Um, Have you got yeah, anything I just to say, Libby, or? remembered my two other tips. <laughs> Even though I shouldn't say I would say that if you find something that makes you feel calm or safe, then I would really um, yes. encourage you to try to incorporate that into your life as much as you can. Because I have, a th or just like if things that make you feel safe, then let them. Like I have some music that makes me feel really safe and I listen to it if I'm feeling anxious or whatever, or like, you know, like, uh, like a, a jumper or like a hoodie or a jacket that makes you feel safe wear it like yeah. and I would also say that if anything makes you feel uncomfortable or if someone is trying to make you feel like do something that you feel like you can't do then don't do it and I just don't just it's so not worth it to just say okay and get on with it because then the part then you just suffer and it's just and then you and then you get home and you can't relax yeah. and then everyone is close to you is like what's wrong and you're like I'm fine but it's not fine <laughs> 
I wouldn't do that either. But it's difficult, isn't it, Libby? But it's brilliant. They're, they're absolutely brilliant tips. And I think a lot of that is is about... Um, and, and then once you can accept something, it's easier to say, no, do you know what? I'm not accepting that. Yeah. I'm not doing it. I'm going to do this mm. instead. So that absolutely... <laughs> I mean, yeah. we could go on for hours, girls. I, I can't... Yes, we could. Oh, I've learned so much. Me and, too. Uh, hopefully, Me too. you know... Um, everyone listening will have will have definitely learned something and and if nothing else will we'll make everyone a little bit more aware um to be a bit kinder and look mm. at look at everyone as an individual you know we don't, never know what anyone's going through do no. we no so, definitely um, i'll let you go and get a no. tea, <laughs> no, tea. <laughs> Oh, do you know, I can't wait to meet you two when all this is over as well It'd be lovely okay bye, bye. So, well, that was amazing, gents, wasn't it? Absolutely I mean, absolutely brilliant. I mean, I hope everyone listens to all of that because it's something um, either if you've got autism or whether you haven't, you, we all need to take home something from that and be aware of, don't we? Just Liz? beautiful. And as a mum, yeah. I, you know, oh. my heart. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, gents. How is the crochet? How's your WI? How's the crocheted square no. or scarf or hat that you were going to be making? Yeah, no, it's it's more not even a friendship bracelet now. <laughs> I, I I'm I've kind of thrown the wool in, as it were. I will keep on if you really want me to. I will try. I I quite enjoy doing a little line or whatever you call it, but I can't get together with having two bits of double stitch or. I started that and then uh, oh James do you know yeah. what girl you've given it a go and I, I can have... say no more than that thank you Lou I Very will put proud some photos on thank you I will put some photos on and um and you know you you've got the lovely bamboo to bamboo wool to come back to <laughs> to you but um but yeah I've given it a go um it's not for me but I can kind of see the meditative effect and I, I can kind of you know I get that so thank you very much and I can always say look I've tried that I've tried and when, that do you know that. what when the sun is shining and I can sit in your garden next to you we can go through it together that's a good idea let's yeah, let's bit of tea. That's planned that. Brilliant. Well done. So, and you, Lou, how's your, um, so we were talking a little bit earlier. You've just been, you've been using your. Um, my willies. Yeah, not, your willies. My willies. Not every day, but in a, in a lot of my cooking, I'm using yeah. it. So probably every other day. I'm still meditating. Um, so, yeah, so all good, gents. All good. And we're going to set, I'm going to set you a fresh WI next week. So Fantastic. beware. Fantastic. Beware, my lovely. Good. So we're going to finish off. But just before we um, say goodbye to everyone, I, I'd just like to read. Um, so my daughter, as I said before, is going through uh, assess formal assessment at the moment for autism. She's 23. Um, and I won't go into it too much because, again, we'll be here all day. But uh, she wanted to say something today, but she she could didn't actually couldn't felt she could speak for herself so she's written something down and she wants me to read it. And I think it'd be a lovely way to to sort of finish. So. I'll see if I can get through it without actually tearing up. I, you know, I'll see, see how I go. So this is from Millie. So when I was growing up, I knew something was wrong. When I started school, I wondered why I wasn't like the other kids. I didn't want to play the same in the same ways as them. And when I did, I had to make the rules. Unfortunately, most of my friends got tired of me. And that by the age of nine, I found myself alone in the playground. Every night I'd go to bed and I made myself a promise. Tomorrow will be different. Tomorrow I will be normal. After all, 
That was all I ever wanted to be. I didn't know what was wrong. I wanted to be like the other kids, but I didn't know how. They had innate skills that I could never learn. I grew up confused, feeling like I was left behind. Perhaps if autism is studied more and researched more, it can be more easily recognised. I don't want other girls to feel the cycle of disappointment that I felt. And as crazy as it sounds, knowing there's something wrong with me brings a great deal of comfort. At least when you know the problem, you can heal and move on. Because I kept waiting for the eureka moment and it never came. The moment where I would finally become a normal girl. And eventually that girl became a woman still as lost as she ever was. It is thanks to my mum that I did not become lost completely. We have been through so much together <clears throat> and I can never thank her enough for, love, for her love and time. I don't really know the moral of this story, but I suppose I just wanted to encourage everyone to be a little bit more patient and kind. It may not seem like a lot to ask, but for people like me, it goes a long, long way. Gents, that's done me. I know, I know. Don't. Oh, yeah, that was so. just beautiful. Darling, darling, Millie, that was lovely. I know. Bless her. Oh. Yeah. Oh. So take take her advice. This, yeah, definitely. This weekend or wherever you are within the week, a bit more patient, more kind, and we don't know other people's journey. So don't judge. If people don't smile back at you, if they don't laugh at your jokes, if they don't seem to make eye contact, don't judge them. Just ask yourself, can I help them? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And we so. all need to be a little bit more Millie. Yeah. Yes, that's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you know, I'm going to have to read this now through these tears. So here we go. So I do hope your tea is not gone cold. And we hope you'll join us next Sunday for the collective when we'll be approaching Earth Day. Because I just I want to mention Earth Day is actually on yes. my birthday. Um, so we will be having three tips from life from three very beautiful, very special women. And most excitingly as well, we're going to be HRT myth busting aren't we gents we are Lou we are we've had lots of questions from people over the last few um, weeks so we're going to be uh, looking at that definitely doing our best yeah doing our best bust those myths on yeah. HRT so yeah. we'd love you to subscribe to our podcast so please leave any comments and head over to our Instagram page at Womankind Collective for all the links and chat from today's podcast Oh, what an emotional one, Jim. Thank you so much. A real a emotional week. one. Yeah, but a good one. A really good one. I hope as many people get to listen to this. If you listen to it and you, you enjoyed it, please share it. Because yeah. Think, you know, things need to be things need to be said. Things need to be said. Yeah. It needs to get out there. Yeah. Thank you so Thank much, Jim. Thank you, Lou. And thanks to everyone for listening. Have and a good week. Have a good week. Bye. Bye.